Well, Father, we want to thank you for your presence here, for your goodness here. Lord, we thank you that you love us. Lord, we thank you that this worship helped prepare our hearts to receive a message from you. And Lord, we just thank you. We pray for your anointing to be here, to communicate to every age, to every, uh, every person, no matter where they're at in their walk with God. Even if they don't really know you that well yet, Lord, that you'll, just, they'll, you'll communicate to them and let them know you love them, let them know you have a plan for their life. And we thank you for this atmosphere right now, Lord, of believers gathering together, the atmosphere of your love, the atmosphere of your presence, your goodness, your glory. And we just give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. How about one more hand clap? Amen. Well, turn to your neighbor. Say, you're looking marvelous today. As I shared earlier, uh, if you're first time here, I'm Mike Ulmer, associate pastor. Been here for, since 1989. It'll be 25 years in January. Uh, pastor John's not here this morning. And I'm going to tell you the title of my message first. The title of this message is, Let's Get Ready to Rumble. <laughs> Talking about being in a war. And let me kind of tell you the war that's been going on the last 48 hours or so. About Friday, about Friday around noon, I get a call from Linnell. You can tell she's kind of panicked. And basically what happened is Pastor John had passed out, and, and, and he, he briefly, and when he did, his arms curled back in. You know, it's just hard to figure out what's going on. She called 911. And uh, then he kind of came back, and she got him to the hospital. So I go to the emergency room. So basically spent all day in the emergency room, and, and they're trying to figure out if everything's all right. Because he had a scare about three months ago that uh, where they really checked out his heart and um, you know, just a lot of, you know, a lot of things going on. And it, they'd had him on some blood uh, pressure medication. And a couple days before that, they had him double it. And he wasn't feeling quite right for those couple days. And then uh, I'll kind of jump ahead. Uh, he's at home right now. He was in the hospital. It kept him overnight, did a, a, a series of tests. And all the tests have come back to say, you know, his carotid artery is good, the, the echo, the heart, the brain. And so everything is looking good. And they're thinking it must have been something with this uh, blood pressure medication or whatever. Uh, but anyhow, so he's home doing all right. But here's what was taking place. So we're in, in the emergency room. And then you've got Linnell, who's supposed to leave at 5 o'clock on a mission trip, taking a team of 25. And so she's trying to figure out what to do. So she's going, oh, do you know? And so we finally, I just said, well, first of all, uh, you can catch the second ride. At midnight, the bus is leaving. So we'll send the, other, send the other group on at 5, and, you know, maybe early evening, we'll get a little more idea what's going on with Pastor, and you can have a piece about that. Because you could tell she really felt, you know, she needed to be there. There was one point we thought about, uh, you know, do you cancel the trip or not? And so, and here's how the Lord kind of, communicated to the nail and we so she didn't have to make the decision we told her hey based on this and this i think you know this is what the lord's saying and it's first the emergency room doctor you know he's going through things and he said we got to you know we'll try to figure it out and and she expressed that she was supposed to you know leave out for mexico at midnight and he said well you know i think we're all right here i think if i was you i'd go ahead and go so the first guy said that the neurologist comes in and he's a little more concerned about things and and kind of, you, you know, not sure. But then at the end, he said, well, there's really nothing you could do either way. So, you know, you could go ahead and go. And then Sterling Lacey, our judge, uh, came in to pray for Pastor John and prayed for him. And, and he just kind of stopped and said, you know, I believe this mission trip, there's something really big that's going to happen down there. 
and the enemy's trying to keep you from coming. And, and you, you, for some reason, you really need to be there because this is a, almost a, a facility that they're going to dedicate that Linnell prophesied about them having. And so all this was going on, and then her kids text her, and both John Henry and uh, Bethany say, you know, Mom, I really feel you're supposed to be on this trip. You know, but, you know, Pastor John... Uh, you know, she's thinking, well, I, I probably should be here with my husband. And, and all husbands think, yeah, we need our wife when we're not feeling good. You know, without question, do not leave our side. And you kind of see that in his eyes like, uh. And, uh, but his mom was on the way. Thank God for mamas to come and help us. And so she went ahead and she felt good about, not good, but like a release to go. But here's what's happening too. Not just that war going on. Pastor Travis had news coming into that day that his levels were too high for his kidneys. Uh, Creedum was, or, uh, it, there's just levels were way too high and something was wrong and they wanted to do more tests. So they, they did some more tests about five o'clock that day. He's waiting till eight o'clock that night to find out, yes, his levels are way too high and we need to do a biopsy on your kidneys. And so he's finding that out, and we're thinking, well, if Travis don't go, can we do the trip? Because he's kind of the, you know, the overseer in the children's part of the ministry. And, but the doctors say, well, we can't do it for seven days. And so you're going to be gone about nine, so you know, I wouldn't go, but if you want to go. So Pastor T- Travis talked to his wife, and they felt good about going. So both them go. They went on the mission trip. So praise God there. But I'm going to get Pastor John something when he gets to his room. I'm driving around, heading back to the hospital. And I just barely heard my phone, but I answered. It was my mom. And I could hardly understand her. But she ended up, she said she ate somewhere. She thought she got food poisoning, and she is just sick as can be. And I'm trying to figure out. I said, well, you know, call, call. So I called my wife and told her to go over there. And see, my mom has a condition where the last time she, I mean, she just throws up. She has this response. Her heart rate gets real low, and she actually stopped. Her heart stopped several times. So they put a pacemaker in in case that happened. So we've got all this going on. And then I find out my daughter, who flew out with a couple other members of our church to go to California, uh, she was supposed to be on the flight that would have put her in LAX during the shooting. And, but they got her on a different flight, so they were still there in another terminal, and they were in lockdown for five hours. But, you know, all this is going on. So with that, do you think there's a war going on? So let's talk about, let's get ready to rumble. We're in a war. Before we read our word, does anybody have your word with you, your electronic device with it on? If you hold it up, make the bookstores glad and the devil mad. And let's chop off some devil's heads. Na, 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 na. Jeez, you are weak, weak, weak. This is a weapon, right? Then repeat after me. This Bible has the power to change my life, to change my city. I can do what this Bible says I can do. I'll be a history maker and a world shaker. This Bible's a truth detector, a sin deflector, a faith inflator. I'm going to read it now. I'm going to read it later. Give Jesus a hand clap if you believe that. Amen. Now let's read his word in Ephesians 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, 
which which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. How many recognize we're in a war? Well, since we're in a war, are you ready to rumble? Just a reminder, every day you get up, you better be ready to rumble because there's a fight. You know this guy, Michael Buffer, when he introduces a fight, to say those five words, let's get ready to rumble, he makes from 25000 to $5 million. He's been making $5 million now every time he says those five words. He got $100 million from a game producer midway, I think it's in the Pac-Man fight, just to use those words that are copyrighted. I mean, that's crazy. But it's a reminder for us, every morning we get up, we're in a battle. There's an enemy out there that wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And you better put on the armor of God every morning. I just thank God a, a lady, a prayer warrior back in San Antonio back in the 80s just got me to recognize that. And every morning I get up, first I just read Ephesians 6, that one we read, and I just acted out. But it's a reminder for me that, hey, there's a battle out there, but praise God, God's given me the weapons. I can be victorious in that. You know, talk about wrestling. There's two high school wrestling teams in Arkansas that qualified for the state finals. And one of the teams from the northern part of Arkansas, their coach taught them this wrestling move called the double reverse. And they were just winning match after match. And they got to this one team, and the opposing coach told his players, he said, now, whatever you do, don't let him get you in that hold, that double reverse hold, or, or it's over. You'll be defeated instantly. And what the hold was is they would take... The opponent, they take their opponent, they would double them half one way, double them half the other way, and then hold them until their legs would go numb and their arms would go numb. Then they'd start to turn blue, and then they'd pin them. And so this wrestling team's coming up, and he says, do not, the first wrestler, do not get in, let him get you in that hold. You know when it's coming, don't let him get you there. It'll be defeat. So the first match goes on, 30 seconds into it, boom, they grab the guy, folds him in half one way, doubles him the other way, his legs start going numb, his arms start going numb, he starts turning blue, boom, pins him and it's over. It goes on for five more matches like that. Within 30 seconds to a minute, I mean the matches are over. We get to the sixth guy, the coach looks at this kid, you can see what's happening now. Do not let him get you in that double reverse move. You can't let him do it, it'll be over. So the kid goes out there immediately, boom. Doubles him half one way. Doubles him half the other way. The coach can look at him. He see, oh, I bet his arms are going numb. I bet his legs, oh, he's starting to turn blue. It's going to be over. And then just in an instant, it turns around. And the, the guy gets out of the hold, flips the guy over, pins him to the mat. He wins, and everybody goes wild. And the coach is just going nuts. He goes over there, and how'd you do it? How'd you do it? He said, well, I went out there, and he got a hold of me, and he doubled me this way, and then he doubled me that way. Well, what else? Well, how'd you win? He said, well, then my legs started going numb, and my arms started going numb, and I thought I was going to pass out. How'd you win, though? What happened? He said, well, right, I opened my eyes right at the last minute, and right in front of my mouth, I saw a big toe, and I bit it as hard as I could. <laughs> and the coach says, well, yeah, but what happened? He said, well, it's amazing what a man can do when he bites his own big toe. <laughs> but we're all in a wrestling match, but we have a very formidable opponent, and we need to recognize that. And I think some of you realize that when you made a step to serve God. How many, when you stepped out to either get saved to serve God, you realize, oh man, the enemy doesn't like me, and there's a battle going on. I mean, four days after I gave my life to Christ, our baby was born, our first baby born premature, two and a half months, and they said she wouldn't walk or talk. 
And there was a lot of times you feel like, oh, man, I don't know if this is worth it. I quit and give up. But it's not worth it. It's worth serving God. It really is. And you can see what's going on with Pastor John and Linnell and Travis and what's going on in your life right now, that there's a war going on. And, you know, the good news, again, I want to reinforce, all pastor's tests were great. And, uh, you know, he's home. And so we're just going to continue to pray for them and believe that the mission team, they see signs, wonders, and miracles in Mexico, and they come back safely, and it's just a, just a powerful weekend. But there's gunfire all around. It's like bombs are dropping. First Timothy 1.18 it says, we are to war a good warfare. 1 Timothy 6.12, we are to fight the good fight of faith. 2 Timothy 2.3, we are to endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We're in a battle. Has anybody felt like you're in any battles this last few weeks or months? Well, congratulations. Because Spurgeon says, Satan never kicks a dead horse. That means you're alive, you're active, you're doing something to advance the kingdom of God. So that's good news. You know, we do wrestle and we do have an adversary. The devil, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And winning this battle is going to determine the joy of your heart, the happiness of your marriage, the welfare of your children, the security of your home, the influence of your life. How do you handle adversity? First of all, the word adversity and adversary come from the same root word. So a lot of that adversity that's coming against you is from the adversary. Not, I mean, we can create our own adversity at times, can't we? But there's a lot of it that's demonically induced and inspired, and we need to recognize that. You're involved in a spiritual battle. The problem is many Christians don't realize that they're in a battle. Either they're asleep or they're in the barracks and not out on the battlefield. That's why some people, some Christians are losing the battle because they're not even fighting. They're asleep. It's kind of like the guy who drank too much. You know, he goes to get on a one-way road, and they have signs that point that way. And he goes the other way. Well, pretty soon the policeman stops him, and he pulls him over, and he looks at him and said, Man, didn't you see the arrows? And the guy looked at him and said, Hey, buddy, I didn't even see the Indians. <laughs> pretty weak one there. But someone said this, much of, the church, much of the church's warfare today is fought by blindfolded soldiers who cannot see the forces raging against them, who are buffeted by invisible opponents and responding by striking one another. Remember, the battle is against flesh and blood. I remember reading a book by Rick Joyner, and it had a kind of, he saw a vision or a picture of demons coming into the church like they were riding on horseback, only they weren't on horses, they were on other Christians. I mean, how do demons get in the church? It's amazing, I think, how many times we can give them, you know, they're hitchhiking, we give them a ride by doing certain things. But we got to remember, it's not your boss, it's not your spouse, it's not your child, it's not your parent. A lot of times there's spiritual opposition coming against you. There's spiritual things. Even Jesus recognized that when he was heading to the cross and Peter tried to correct him. Oh, you don't need to go and die. You don't need to do this. And he stopped and he turned and looked at Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. Now, if that was me, I would have probably said, Peter, you're an idiot. What are you thinking about? You know, I just said something fleshly, you know, just kind of going right to him. And sometimes we got to remember, we got to bounce these things off God. There's a spiritual influence behind that. And we got to recognize it's a spiritual battle. Dr. James, well, first of all, Douglas MacArthur says there's no substitute for victory. How many agree with that? And God wants you to be victorious. He wants us to establish His kingdom and move forward. And it's time for Christians to wake up, to stop blowing the retreat, and begin to sound the, the 
attack, you know, the, the battle charge. Dr. James Merritt says there's too many Christians who are letting the devil take it to them when they ought to be taking it to the devil. Instead of getting up and worrying what the devil's going to do to you, you ought to be getting up and the devil's worrying what you're going to do to him. Because it's already written in the end of here what happens to him. You know, there's a true story of a football, that, a football graduate that graduated from a college, had a real successful coach, and the coach talked him into being a recruiter for him to go recruit other high school players. And so he meets with the coach who's very wise and a great team and has a lot of great players. He said, what do I look for when I recruit a player? And the coach looked at him and said, well, you know those guys that get knocked down and stay down? He said, yeah, we don't want that guy. He said, you know the guy that gets knocked down gets back up and gets knocked down? He says, yeah, we don't want that guy either. He said, there's a guy that gets knocked down, gets back up, gets knocked down, gets back up, gets knocked gets back up. And the guy's kind of getting his eyes big. Oh, we want that guy, don't we? He said, no, we want the guy that's knocking everybody down. <laughs> Isn't that what we ought to be as Christians? It's time for Christians to get off the defense and get on the offense. If you're a Christian, you're in a war. You may be a deserter. You may be AWOL, AWOL, but you're in a war. You cannot straddle the fence, and there's no neutral ground. There's no detente with the devil. And C.S. Lewis says this, there's no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by the devil. MacArthur says, the greater knowledge of the enemy, the greater the potential for victory. Ephesians 6.11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I would do it daily to remind and you've got to avoid two extremes when you're talking about the enemy. I and mean, we want to give him too much credit and glorify him, but you need to be aware. And the thing with Christians, a lot of times, first of all, we're usually in one ditch and don't know anything about God, anything about spiritual warfare, and we're in this ditch. And then God has a middle of the road. And I'm not saying just average and status quo, but there's a place where there's a tension in the Scripture that kind of keeps you from erring one way. It's called a balance. And too many times, some Christians, after they go from one ditch, they get in the other ditch. And then they get a little weird and crazy about some things. And there's a devil in everything and behind everything. But you can go from one extreme to where there's no devil at all. There's no such thing. It's kind of like the prize fighter that's fighting and getting punched to death. And the manager, every time he sits in the corner, the manager looks at him and says, um, you know, go get him, tiger. He's not even putting a hand on you. And he goes back out and gets beat up some more. And he keeps hearing that. And he's thinking, what's going on? And finally, the seventh round, you know, his eyes are just swollen shut. He's bleeding. And the manager gives him the, go get him, Tiger. He's not laying a hand on you. And he looks at him and says, well, then you go stop that referee because somebody's beating the daylights out of me. <laughs> the other extreme is the woman who breaks a fingernail. And it's like, oh, there's a demonic attack against me. Or, we, you know, we can't find our kids' shoes. And it's just like, oh, you know, demons are sent to keep us from going. You know, all this stuff. But there is an enemy out there. And he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Here's three areas, big areas the enemy attacks us in. He'll attack us in our finances, our relationships, and our health. Have anybody been attacked in those areas lately? I mean, I saw this happening just in the last two to three months with Pastor John. I mean, health, finances, as far as, you know, the church and different things going on and relationships, I'm telling you, that's what the enemy wants to come. And his sole purpose is to steal your faith. That's where the real battle's at. Because it's kind of like, I'll wait on that. Well, it's kind of like fear and faith. It's a teeter-totter. And it's just, and the enemy wants to tip the scales. He just wants to tip them, just get you to worry enough, just to tip. All of a sudden, boom, you start moving in fear, 
Gotcha. Because you can't pull anything out of heaven without faith. I mean, everything about this Christian life is about faith. It's about believing that God is and who he said he is and he's a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. And so there's a battle going on. But God wants you to prosper and be in health. That's what his word says. He wants to bless you. The enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy. He wants to curse you. But God says you choose. You choose blessings or curses. You choose life or death. So it comes down to choices. Are you going to go down the path of blessing? And a lot of times if you don't make a decision, somebody will make it for you. It really, it, it really is like that a lot of times. I tell that to young people when I do assemblies. Sometimes we just kind of, I, in my Christian walk, was just waiting for God to show up, not instead of me making a decision to follow him. It's kind of like the game warden that saw this fisherman come back with stringers full of trout, coming back with his boat. And he'd see everybody else maybe with two or three fish. And the game warden's thinking, how is this guy doing this? I mean, just stringers full of fish. And so I'm saying, hey, you mind if I go out and see your, you know, your special technique or where you go? And say, yeah, come along. So they get in the boat. They go out in the middle of the lake, and this guy's got his net, and pretty soon he reaches down, grabs a stick of dynamite, lights it, and throws it out in the lake. Ba-boom! All these fish come, fish come floating to the top. He takes his net and scooping them all up. And the game warden, finally when his senses come back to him, he said, hey, buddy, this is totally illegal. I'm going to throw the book at you. You're going to be in jail. And the guy kind of looks at him, drops his net, reaches down, lights another stick of dynamite, throws it in the warden's lap, and says, well, you're going to keep talking or you're going to go fishing. <laughs> well, he made a dynamic decision to get rid of that dynamite and go fishing. I'm going to throw some dynamite in your laps before this is over. Just help you make a decision to serve God. Amen? But you might think, well, of course I want to be blessed. Well, then why don't you love God? Well, I do love God. Well, John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Why are you being disobedient? What about finances? See, this is one with me that's just so tangible. Because the other ones are kind of out there. But finances, you either trust God, you do what He says and give 10%, and you return it to the Lord. And I've heard people say, I say, do you tithe? Well, yeah, kind of, sometimes. Well, it's like kind of being pregnant. I mean, you're either pregnant or not. You either tithe or you don't. You either trust in God with the 10%, that's it, and that settles it. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm glad I wore my steel-toed boots today. You know, I don't apologize. We're to, be we're to be salt or light. Salt purifies, salt irritates, salt also preserves. You know, they used to, I, I was told they put salt on a baby when they were born back in the day because it purifies. Even as a baby Christian, this word will help just purify and make your way straight. But yet it irritates those who don't obey. But yet it will preserve those who do obey. We're to be salt and light. And when you step out in an area, whether it's you're stepping out for God or salvation or ministry or you started to give or you're witnessing, the enemy's going to try to stop you. Whenever you take a step toward God, he wants you to back off and he wants you to turn around and go the other way. He wants you to give up. And I'm telling you, when you first give your life to Christ, there's usually a big, I'm going to, I'll say attack, but it's more of a smoke screen. It's more of something where you think, oh my word, I, I can't go through that. But if you'll just step toward God, it's a smoke screen. But the enemy wants you to back off, quit, and give up. Just think about, Jesus started preaching one day, and it got real serious. He was stepping on a lot of toes. He said, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And he was getting serious. And it said a lot of his disciples turned and walked away. And you only had that core small group left. And he looked at them and said, well, you guys going too? They looked at him and said, 
man, we've given up everything. I mean, we've sold out to this thing. This is it. And then Jesus affirmed them by saying, hey, whatever you give up in this life, family, home, friends, whatever it is, you'll receive in this life a hundredfold and in the life to come. I'm telling you, we've got to get to that place where we're just willing to let go of everything. You know, when that hurricane came to New Orleans, Katrina, they said very loudly, leave. You need to leave. Get out of here. And I think sometimes, some of us, there's some things of the world we just need to leave. We need to let go. Because that gives the enemy right to beat us up. See, sometimes we give the enemy legal access, which I'll talk about more. But I, I used this story a long time ago with our youth group. The way they would catch these little monkeys in uh, Africa, because the natives would catch them and they'd sell them and make money. And the way they'd catch them, they'd take a gourd and they would hollow it out and put a little hole in it just big enough for the monkey to reach his hand in. Then they'd put some nuts in the bottom of it. And that monkey would smell those nuts, just stick his hand, just squeeze it into that hole, grab those peanuts, and then he couldn't get his hand out. And he would just leave it like that because he wasn't going to let go of those peanuts. And the natives would come up and they'd just capture them and go sell them. But do we do that with some things of the world? Sometimes we're just holding on and we say, God, help me, help me. And the enemy's just beating us up, beating us up. God, help. And we just keep holding on. Let go. Look at your neighbor and say, let go. This is one strategy of the enemy. Ernest Hemingway's book, The Sun Also Rises, talks about a poor man of, a, a, a man of poor moral characters and he asks, how did you go bankrupt? He said, well, two ways, gradually, then suddenly. That's the way the enemy works. First, it's just Gradually. We kind of move away from the things of God. You know, gradually, I mean, we're not denying God or anything like that. We're just gradually, we don't want God to, inf- His influence in that area of our life anymore. And we just kind of, it's just gradually. But then guess what? The bottom drops out. The Christian life can't be just snuggling up in the coziness of God's love like a child all the time. There's got to be time we've got to die to self, grow up, and begin to fight the battle. Because other souls are dependent on it. Other lives or other family members are dependent on it. That we break through and go for it. So let's kind of wind toward the end and talk about how to get victory. Number one, if you want to get victory in life, whenever I'm under spiritual attack, first I examine myself. Okay. Have I given the enemy access? Because that's what I got. He's, because we you got to realize there is a legal battle going on in heaven continually. It says the enemy comes before God, accusing the brethren. And he's going before, and does he have legal right? I believe when you really look in the book of Job, Job, uh, the enemy had legal right. That meant God had to kind of give him permission. And one area was pride. Because you look at the end of Job, that's where God had to begin to rebuke uh, Job and say, did you ever form the world in your hands? Can, do you know how to hold up the stars? Do you know how to do this? And so sometimes we can do things that open doors and the enemy has legal access. And so we've got to say, okay, Lord, is there any of these areas? And we've got to ask God. And usually it t- we've got to humble ourselves and we've got to ask for forgiveness. And sometimes that's not always just by yourself. Sometimes you've got to go to somebody, like an altar or somebody, and, and, uh, an altar call or some, uh, a Christian brother or somebody, and say, hey, pray with me in this area. But first you've got to just recognize uh, and examine yourself. Number two, you need to choose. Are you going to do it God's way or are you going to do it your way? You, gotta, you choose life or death. You choose blessings or curses. And sometimes it just comes down to a choice and you know deep in your heart that, hey, I got I to stop going this way and I got to go this way. And number three is fight. Say fight. And here's my acronym. Fight. The F stands for faith. Say faith. 
Because again, that's what the battle is over. It's over your faith. The enemy wants to take your faith and get you to move in fear. It's a battle of faith. Listen to what it says in 1 Timothy 1, 18 and 19. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected concerning the faith, having suffered shipwreck. The enemy wants your faith. He wants you to stop believing. You know, we got a little believer inside of us. you got to make sure that thing's working. Because when it stops working, and that's why faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That's why you got to get this thing in you daily. Put on the armor. Read this daily. Talk to God daily. I'm t- then you'll be strong spiritually. I mean, there's no way you could want to uh, go join a football team and, or do something athletic that involves some sort of strength and not eat and not work out. You would just shrivel up and your muscles would atrophy. That's what's happened spiritually. This is our food right here. Our prayers, our weightlifting, that's how we stay strong. Resistance is not always a bad thing, is it? So you got to fight. The I stands for intercession. Say intercession. That's praying. That's standing in the gap. You know, Satan trembles at the weakest Christian who's on their knees. There's an uh, African antelope called the new GNU that... When it sees it's getting attacked, it drops to its knees. And right when the, the uh, predator comes up, then it springs up and it begins to go on the offense and starts kicking at it. You know, what if we had an old, a whole army on our knees of Christians? This church, is time to go to our knees right now because we are going to another level. I believe that's what the part of the attack's from. See, some of the attacks come from open doors and access that we have opened a door and the enemy can come in. It's like leaving your front door open and every dog and cat will come in and, and whatever, intruders. But I believe there's times we go to a new level that there's another door we got to enter through. And a lot of times when you open that door, there's a devil there that says, no, no, no. This is my territory. But you know, the devil does not own one thing. Everything he has, he's a usurper. That means we give it to him. He has some financial things because you're not starting to tithe yet. And you're not going to get them back until you do. Just being truthful. And I'm, hey, just so you know, when I talk about finances, I'm not talking to you like a pastor at that point. I'm talking to you from a satisfied customer and seeing how God has met my needs because I have been in the hole. And there's still a hole, but God's digging me out of it. And that's because I'm trusting him in that area. And I tell you, you cannot outgive God. Hallelujah. Intercession. The G stands for glory. I'm going to take just a moment longer on this one. Say glory. glory. This one kind of mixed two kind of things together because I found some old notes and talked about the glory of God, which I'd thought about preaching this morning, so I just weaved it in here. It's called a mashup. That's when you put two things together. Put two old classic songs together and you got a mashup. Now you learn something new that the young kids know about. All right. So here's what I did. I was writing in my journal, and this was the day I wrote it, March 17th, 1999. And I was writing while well, I was just taking some notes, but then I felt like the Lord, it prompted me, start writing. And see, the Lord wants to communicate with His children. I mean, that's His sheep hear His voice. Any sheep in here? Here to hear his voice. And I believe he, he communicates in 
different ways based on how he's wired us and made us. One way is we hear God's voice. You can hear it through the Word of God, but you can, some people are just more sensitive to hearing. That means you get those thoughts and you're able to discern between your thoughts, the enemy's thoughts, and God's, and you can kind of hear his voice. You get that thought. Some people see. They see things. They just can, like you see what God's doing. Some people feel. I feel my wife's more of a feeler. She just feels that ain't right or there's something wrong with that person. But he wants to communicate. There's times where I've been impressed to start writing. And when I do, I start to kind of argue. Well, is that just me? But listen to what I wrote, and you'll realize it's not me. Because it's just too smart to be me. All right? Here's what I said. First I said, this was probably when I was doing youth ministry. Do you want me to preach? And I felt, he said, yes. And I said, about what? And this is what he said. I want you to tell them about about my goodness, my glory, my love. I have put eternity inside them. They need to know about how much I've invested in them, how much I love them personally. I want to reveal their destiny to them, now, not later. If they get a glimpse of my glory, they will see my goodness, and that will lead them to repentance. That means to turn around, then they will finally see me, for I have been following them from their beginning. Didn't I say, surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life? But why do you run from me? Why do you run from the very thing you desire? The God of this world has blinded you. You've been in the dark, and it's getting darker by the minute. But when the enemy comes in, like a flood, I will lift up a standard. My glory, my light is beginning to shine bright, like the rising of the sun to bring forth a new day. For I say, today is a new day. Be glad and rejoice in it. I am going to flood my children with light, the light of the truth, to set my children free. I say, run to the light, run to my love, run to my glory. Don't let my glory be something that follows you around. It's my desire that my glory, my goodness be in you, that you wear it and walk in it, says the Lord. Now, I don't know, but a lot of times I get things early that don't make sense prophetically. But I'm telling you, this is for today. This is for right now. That he, and this is for America. Does not he want to shine his light and begin to expose all the lies through the media and everywhere? And where's that light going to come? It's going to have to reflect off of us. His glory is going to have to reside on and in us and be splashed on people. Now, here's the last kind of couple scriptures as far as Moses and his encounter with God. Exodus 33, and I'll kind of skip through this, this whole chapter with a few verses. Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. In other words, Moses is saying, okay, these people are crazy. They won't listen to me. They won't even listen to you. I quit unless you go with us. How many realize, and here's the thing, every one of you in this room have something God wants you to do that's bigger than you. You can't do it on your own. You're going to have to say, God, I need you to help me do this. And so then God says, well, Moses says, please show me your glory. Then he said, God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. So it will be that when my glory passes by, that I'll put you in a cleft of the rock, will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I'll take away my hand, and you shall see my back, and my face you shall not see. So you see that? The goodness of God and the glory of God. See, the word glory actually translates the weightiness of God, the heaviness of God. I'm telling you, we couldn't handle but a glimpse of it. You know, I was praying yesterday for this service and walking around. I saw the cross and I I thought, well, I'll just kind of make a gesture, you know, kind of bow my knee to acknowledge, God, I need your help and I want you. And as I get closer, you kind of, you know, feel a little more, ooh, God, there's nobody in this room and I'm talking to you and you're probably here right now. And and I go to kneel and I no more than get ready to kneel. It's like, no, lay down. And I just lay on my face and I'm laying on my face. And then you just kind of get that, ooh, what if I looked up right now and I saw Jesus? 
Or what if I just felt one drop of blood hit my head? That was spilled. I mean, that happened on that cross. And you just start getting this feeling like, ooh, I don't know if I want to open my eyes. Because I feel totally undone. I feel like a worm. But that's the good thing about God. About the time you feel like that, he'll just reach down and grab you and say, hey, my son. Or just, hey, I've, you know, I've given my life for you. We got a good God. He wants to reveal his goodness. Here's my quick little acronym for, good, for the glory. Stands for goodness, love, omnipotence, or omnipresence, righteousness, and the Y stands for, why wouldn't you want it? Why wouldn't you want the goodness of God? Why wouldn't you want the glory of God? He's good. He loves you. Here's the last part of Exodus 34. Now the Lord descended in the cloud, stood with him there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. So Moses made haste, bowed his head toward the earth, and worshiped. Here's a couple points about the glory of God. Number one, God's glory has powerful effects on people. Verse 8, it said, He bowed and worshiped. I don't know if I said this in this service or the last service. I'll say it again. Two things really stand out in this church when I go through, people go through our Connect class. One is that people welcome them. They feel welcomed. And, and you know, praise God and for our, our greeters and our ushers. But, I mean, that's this congregation. Let's pray for a culture that people feel welcome, no matter what color, no matter what age, no matter whatever, but that they feel welcome. And the other thing is the overwhelming presence of God when we have worship. That people, this, I don't know why, you know, and we're talking about people from other denominations that aren't used to, you know, this kind of worship, and they just, I just begin to cry. It's the presence of the Lord. It's the glory of God. And that's what changes lives. It really does. So God's glory has powerful effects on people. And once you receive a revelation of His glory, our worship can't help but change. And number two, it affects our intimacy with God. Our communion, see, love is a two-way street. True love manifests in two expressions, rest and rejoicing. Thank God I got a a great wife that's my best friend. And sometimes you ever just feel like things are just getting stressful and it's just like, I got to get away. Like, Kelgon, take me away. I just got to go somewhere. But thank God I have a wife I can go to and we can just get away, even in the confine of our home. And there's just, first I just rejoice in the wife of my youth. But there's a rest there that comes. And I say that just to, you know, thank God, but you could be single. But you need to understand what God, the relationship you can have with Him, that you'll never be alone. He puts the solitary in families. And so He's here to tell you today, and look what it says in Zephaniah 3.17. This is what God says over you. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save, He will rejoice over you with joy. He will rest in His love, He will joy over you with singing. See, that word rest means... He will be silent because of his love. It's like he's saying, I found my true love. I'm totally satisfied. No need to look anywhere else. I have no complaint. That's what he says about you. See, when I got engaged to my wife, that was the time I say, okay, I'm committed. There's no more dating, no more checking around. This is it. I'm engaged. We're going to get married. That's it. And God has said that over you. And maybe some of you need to say that with him. Not just get engaged, but really commit to the Lord. God gets pleasure in us. So the H in the word fight, real quick, is Holy Spirit. Have you received the power of the Holy Spirit? Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? It's another gift other than salvation. Go through our Connect class. Go through the class right after that, The Spirit-Filled Life, a book by Robert Morris, The God I Never Knew. There's another, another level in this whole thing. 
There's more. That's what my prayer was. Romans 8, 26. We don't know what to pray, but the Holy Spirit prays through us with groanings too deep for words. That's when you receive that prayer language. When you, and, and you can pray in a whole other realm. You really can. The T stands for the power of praise and worship. Okay? You need to understand, God's given us weapons to fight this fight. He's given us the sword of the Spirit. He's given us the blood of Jesus, that we can say the blood of Jesus against you, devil. He's given us angels to minister our needs. And He's given us a weapon most of us don't even realize. It's called praise and worship. And as our praise team comes to get ready. Remember in the Old Testament, there were some battles going on where God said, no, I want you to send the tribe of Judah. I want you to send the worship team. You know, Nick, Zach, you guys, you go out ahead. I mean, there's guys waiting there with bow and arrows. They're going out with instruments. But when you praise God, boom, the answers come down. One angel come and wipe out a bunch of people. It's amazing. You don't understand what happens when you get in the presence of God, when you begin to worship. And that's one of the biggest things about spiritual warfare is not, I could teach you on binding and loosing and strongholds and all these things. But the bottom line is God gives greater grace when you humble yourself. And when you humble yourself, resist the devil he will flee. You submit to God, risk the devil, and just getting in the presence sometimes is just what you need to do. A couple of scriptures about this because, first of all, 2 Corinthians 10 4, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by his spirit, says the Lord. Matthew 21 16, out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. Psalm 8, 2, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. First of all, we need to become like child, is what the Bible's children. Why? Because children are uninhibited. They're not worried about what people are thinking. I mean, they just, they'll run to their daddy in the middle of the mall and just, ah, oh, daddy, daddy. They get excited. And so we're going to go back into worship. And I want you to recognize it as a weapon. As we do that, as we become intimate with God, that God will silence the mouth of our enemy. And I pray he'll silence the mouth of the enemy over Pastor John and Linnell. Pastor John is his home. Maybe uh, the enemy coming in to try to get him fear about his wife and his daughter in Mexico. Maybe Linnell down there worrying about her husband. But I pray the mouth of the enemy be silenced over them. It'll be silenced over Travis that when he gets back he'll get a good report in Jesus' name. It'll be silenced over your life in Jesus' name. But right before we go back into worship, I want to throw a stick of dynamite out in somebody's lap. In other words, are you 100% sure if you died, you'd go to heaven? You got a choice to make. By not making a choice, you just made a choice. April 14th, 1984. Somebody asked me if I died, if I'd go to heaven. I couldn't answer the question. I didn't know. Well, maybe I do more good than bad, whatever it was. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. I realized that day, I had to give God permission to come into my life. I had to invite him in. The Bible says, as many as received him, to them became children of God. Have you received Christ as your Lord and Savior? You've got to open the door and receive him. And so, here's that stick of dynamite. It's in your lap. Are you 100% sure if you died, you'd go to heaven or not? If not, you can just do, you can raise your hand in just a minute when I ask you to, like I did. And by raising your hand, just right where you're at, we're going to pray for you. Just right where you're at. If you're not sure if you spend eternity in heaven, if you're off track right now, and you want to get back on track, on the count of three, hold your hand up. We're going to say a prayer for you right where you're at. One, two, three. Hold your hands up. There's about, I know there's going to be ten people in here. Hands, hand, 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 hand. Anybody else? Hand. Anybody else? 
See your hand in your hand. Amen. Let's give Jesus a hand clap. Let's just stop and let's say this prayer together. And everybody can repeat after me. It's not so much the words, it's the attitude of your heart. You're giving God permission to come in. The one that created you to come in and give you a peace that you can't have without Him. Repeat this after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross. For me, I give you permission to come into my life, to change me. I'm going to need your power. I'm going to need your help. So fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give Jesus one more hand clap. I want to, I'm going to ask our altar workers to come up in just a minute. We're all going to stand, and we're going to go into worship. And I want you to stick with me just through a, a, a few more minutes that we can really silence the mouth of the enemy, and I can say a prayer over you. But when we stand up, our altar team's going to come forth. I want Jason to go over to that cross, and I want you, if you raised your hand a little early, ask Christ, I want you to go to that cross, because we got some material, because by raising your hand, that's, that's just the start. Now you need to know how to walk this out, and we got some great material we'll give you that you can help you, and I want some other Christians to go over there with them, so let's all stand to our feet. If you raised your hand, go over there, get your little free gift, and the altar team come up here and get them before the altar, and before we sing... See, a lot of times we feel like, okay, I heard the word, I'm going to worship, but some of you need to come to the altar. And I felt this even more so this weekend, because you need, some of you have never come to the altar. You need to come and let somebody agree with you, because the way God has designed His body is we need each other. The Bible says if one can send a thousand to flight, two can send ten thousand. So when you come up and when you immediately agree with somebody, there's more spiritual force on your side. And so if you want to grieve for somebody for health, a family member, uh, you're under spiritual attack and you want that broken off of you, you come around this altar, either worship around it, grab one of these people's hands and they're going to agree with you and the power of God's going to show up. I'm not just agreeing for miracles and signs and wonders to happen in Mexico, I'm believing for it to happen right here in this church. And there has been testimonies week by week of people being healed and different things happening. So we're going to sing, hang in there for a couple minutes here, altars are open and let's really just let the glory of God come down. In Jesus' name.